This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. You guys doing well? Yeah? Nobody's cranky? I asked the first service that because it seems like we have a few cranky pants in the first service. So I just uh, want to, uh, it's actually what the message is about today. Don't be cranky. You guys are cranky, huh? It's not really what the message is about, but um, kind of. It fits well. Do you need a Bible? Anybody that needs a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. Can somebody get Bibles for people, please? One over here on the left and then on the right. Anybody else need a Bible? We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 today. Before we get into the study, uh, there's a couple things I wanted to say. First of all, how many, do we have any vets in the house? Any veterans? All right. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you, guys. Happy Veterans Day. Amen. And then also the other thing that I wanted to, that I wanted to kind of touch on for a moment is that it was a few years ago, probably about three, three and a half years ago, that I got a message um, from somebody in California, and they said, hey, um, you guys are Paradise Calvary Chapel. We're Calvary Chapel Paradise, so I guess, like, we have the same name. And, and I was like, yeah, well, we just started. We're just, we're just you know, we're just getting, getting our feet under us and, and starting. We're here in Las Vegas in the Paradise area. And they were very sweet. Yeah, that's great. It's cool that we have somebody with you know, the same kind of namesake. It, it kind of, you know, it never went anywhere from there, but it kind of, I always, I thought about it afterwards, and it kind of had this kind of sister church feel, kind of, a smaller church in Northern California, and then, and us starting out, and like I, like I said, we were Paradise Calvary Chapel there, Calvary Chapel Paradise, and um, it was, it was uh, pretty sweet. I bring that up to bring to your attention that, um, as many of you know, there's a fire that ravaged Paradise, California, this past week. And Paradise Calvary Chapel is us. Calvary Chapel Paradise burned to the ground. So there are thousands of structures that have been lost. Um, There's still video this morning of more places burning. And our unofficial sister church, I just wanted to bring up, uh, I wanted to ask you guys to devote, dedicate some time in prayer for, for those people for their witness and their community going through this devastating thing right now. They are the salt and the light of the earth, and this is one of the most explicit opportunities that they have to share that light with people around them. So let's be praying for our brothers and sisters at Calvary Chapel Paradise and knowing that the church is not a building. The church is not a place The church is not a geographical location. The church is the people. So let's pray for the church in paradise. They will rise from the ashes and be 
um, the glory of God to a community that so desperately needs him right now, okay? Let's pray together. Father God, we lift up Calvary Chapel Paradise to you, just like we said, Lord, that, that you do not dwell in buildings or temples built with human hands. You dwell in man's hearts, women's hearts, our hearts. They are your church, sanctified and set apart for this season that they find themselves in. Probably a unique season that they've never been in before. So God, we pray that you'd give them an extra measure of grace in this time. We pray that you'd pour out the presence and power of your Holy Spirit in their lives. That they would be able to bring something to their community that brings perspective, even in the absolute lost uh, loss that they're suffering right now. So God, we lift them up to you. We pray for them. We seek you on their behalf. And we pray, God, that you'd be glorified in that place, and that you'd use them mightily for your name and for your goodness, God. We love you. Thank you for our vets, Lord. And, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. The title of today's message is The Brighter Side. The Brighter Side. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed or not, but since the time change, this happens every year in Las Vegas. I had some people agree with me in the first service, so I'm not so worried about you agreeing with me, even though it's true. Um, but after the time change in this time of year, it seems like one o'clock in the afternoon feels like five or six at night. It gets darker much quicker, and there is this sense of like, where did the day, did the day ever begin? Where did the day go? And, and I, you know, as much as I, I like rain and I like clouds, there is some kind of a sense that, that, that things have changed. We're going into a new season. And with that in mind, I think uh, how our perspective can so easily be affected. Our temperament, our attitude. Are you grumpy today? Did you wake up on the right side of the bed or the wrong side of the bed? Why? Why would you even ask yourself that question? Because there's things happening in your life right now. There's things happening in your world that affect your perspective of the world. And you as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to be the optimist. You're required to be the optimist. As difficult as that can be at some times. It's the whole proverbial half glass empty, half glass full. I had a brother come up to me after the first service and he said, you know what, Pastor Tim, actually half of the glass is full of water and the other half is full to the top of oxygen and you need both to survive. You know, it's, it's the absolute optimist. And sometimes we're like, calm down a little bit with the optimism. But it's true. We always have to see things from the brighter side. We always have to reconsider what our perspective is and why it changes and how our life is being affected right now. We are God's contrast on the earth. Keep that in mind. Think about that. Does anybody know what our word was for chapter one? Yes, I'm doing the words again. 
purpose. Thank you, brother. Chapter 2, contentment. contentment. Chapter 3, time. Chapter 4, companionship. Chapter 5, rest. Chapter 6, reputation. Reputation. I'll pause there. Chapter 7, chapter 8, citizenship. Chapter 9 is, any guesses? Crankiness. No. Chapter 9 is contrast. Contrast. You are God's contrast on the earth. When everybody says it looks this way, God says, no, this is the right position. This is the juxtaposition. This is the, the reality. This is the truth. And as we live our lives in contrast to the rest of the world, we will rightly be the light of the world. Isn't that what contrast really is when you break it down in photography? It's, it's darkness and light. You are God's contrast. And I have to preface this chapter with that to let you know that Solomon in this chapter is struggling with some major life questions. He's making statements, bold statements. And in this, in this chapter, he brings up the fact that, that they're in an under the sun kingdom kind of mentality. It's the temporal, it's the things of this world, it's the things that happen underneath the sun up in the sky. And it's important for us to realize as we look at what he has to say and we read through uh, even he gives contrasts. So we have to look at what our contrast is. We have to look what our perspective is. And we have to keep the hope because that is God's perspective. Chapter 9, verse 1. For I considered all this in my heart so that I could declare it all. There's something that we've seen Solomon do in the past in Ecclesiastes. There's this meditation. There's this mulling. There's this pondering. Our tour guide in Israel said something really cool. She said, I want you to ponder this. And whenever you think of ponder, think of there's a ping pong table in your head and the ping pong ball is going back and forth. That's to ponder. That's what she said. I don't know. It sounded cool. So we kept saying it throughout the trip. Ping pong ponder about this. This is things that have happened under the sun. This is his perspective from a mortal uh, place. This is why he can get discouraged. But he says, I've considered these things in my heart. The heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? I've considered these things in my heart so that I could declare it to all so I can let everybody know what's, what life is really about. That the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People think that they have control, but ultimately we have very little, if any, control. You think of Pilate. We're at Eke, uh, Eke Homo, the place where... Uh, Pilate said, behold the man, after Jesus was beaten and scourged and had the crown of thorns placed on his head and the purple robe draped around his shoulders. 
Pontius Pilate says, behold the man. And, and the Jews cried out, crucify him. And, and he took Jesus away and, and he's asking Jesus questions. And it says that Jesus remains silent. And Pontius Pilate says to him, don't you know that I have the power? I have the authority of life or death in my hand in regards to your situation. Jesus said, you have no power or authority that wasn't given to you from on high. Jesus is the contrast to the world. Jesus says, I see things the way the Father sees them. You see them through this temporal, mortal lens that is false. And you would not have this power unless it had been given to you by my Father. That is an eternal perspective. That's something that we can take, we can glean from Jesus's half or a glass full scenario, an optimist. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. This reminds me of the verse, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. And people ask the question, why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? This is in essence what Solomon is saying. He's saying, um, whatever happens to the righteous happens to the wicked also, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices, him who does not sacrifice, as is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. And with that perspective, knowing that everything's going to happen in life, life is going to go on, we're going to experience things. The challenge for us isn't to sink down into that statement or that understanding. The challenge is to rise above it and that our perspective is rightly aligned with God's so that when things start to happen, we understand that it must go through his hands before it can reach us in any capacity anyway. That God is God over everything. And the contrast is, instead of allowing ourselves to get bogged down into what this world tells us, we are to be lifted up by the promises of the scripture. And I think, like, I look at, uh, and I'm so tired of, of all the, the negative news. It's so difficult sometimes to navigate through that. So there's two prophecies I want to bring to your attention this morning. I want you to take note of. This is how you rise above out of your mortality and the questions of life's difficulties. The first one is in Isaiah chapter 11. If you want a minute, you can turn there quickly to your left if you know where Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 5 through 7. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness, 
the belt of his waist. When we talk about rulers, when we talk about people who are in power over others, man, nobody has ever in history matched up to Jesus. Righteousness. Could you imagine somebody who rules over you that does everything righteously, that does everything well, that is a total optimist. He knows what to uh, expect in the future, what's going to happen, and he girds his waist with righteousness and faithfulness, the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. I like that, fatling. I don't know why, but I always bring it up. The fatling's going to lay down together and a little child shall lead them. Sophia has this thing for whatever reason where she likes to be in charge. You guys ever have kids that like to be in charge or know any kids that like to be in charge? So we've never been like a, we've never been like a, like a princes and princess kind of family, you know, like Disneyland's cool and stuff, but our kids just never really got into it. Mila really was never that way, but Sophia's different. You can see in her spirit, she's a She's a, you know, different little girl. And, and, and for the first time, you know, I started to, to, to get to the place of being okay with, with her wanting to identify as a princess. I'm like, whatever, you know, if that makes me a king, then I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it, I guess. <laughs> so I was talking to Sophia one day and I decided to, to take the, the jump, you know, to confirm in my daughter's mind that she was a princess and I'd never really said it to her before. It's just, you know, like I, I, I can't explain it. It's just, I, you know, whatever, you know, I didn't think that way. So I am talking to her and I'm like, oh, you know, Princess Sophia. And she said, I'm not a princess. And I was like, whoa, she's, you know, well, I'm sorry. I'm not a princess, daddy. I am the queen. <laughs> like, okay, then. So, you know. So from that point on, I decided that whenever I talked to her, whenever I would be concluding my statement, whatever I say, I would say, and thank you for your time, your highness. And she thinks that that is the most hilarious thing ever. She cackles at me. She's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. I'm like, I don't know what I'm creating. This might not be good, but the queen is in town. And then, and then again, uh, I was telling her, Sophia, do you know what your middle name is? And she, and she, uh, she said, no, I don't know my middle name. And I said, you don't remember? We told you what your middle name was. And she said, no, I don't remember. I said, your, your name is Sophia Diane, and it's after my mommy. My mommy's name was Diane, and you guys look a lot alike, and you act a lot alike, and, it, and you remind me of my mommy. And she got this look on her face, and she touched her lip, and she said, does that mean I can be your mommy? And I was like, no, nice try. You're not in charge of me. You're four. Don't, don't even go there. But the idea is um, children, they're the most vulnerable, they're, right? They're the ones that we have to protect. We have to look out for. We have to, uh, 
make sure that they have the right perspective, right? We're training them up to have a perspective about the world, and it's important. It's a job for us. Then we look at this prophecy in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 11, and look what it says. It says, the little child shall lead them. And the reason I brought up that story about Sophia and told you how she's the queen, apparently, is because um, she takes our dogs. We have poodles, really cool dog, standard poodles. And there's this one poodle. uh, Well, she does it to whoever will allow her. And she grabs him by the collar and she holds him really close to her and she walks him around. I caught her doing it to one of the dogs around the pool yesterday. She walks and she's like, okay, come on, let's go. You're coming with me. Stop. Okay, walk. Stop. She just likes being in control and she's going to love in heaven how she gets to lead the animals around. That's full circle for you. That's why I brought that up. The cow, you like that? The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones, their young ones shall lie down together. It's even even in the animal kingdom, there's a protection of, of the cubs, of the babies typically, you're not going to have any problems with a bear, really. They say, I, I don't go hang out with bears on my free time. But typically, they say, you don't really, you're not really going to have problems with bears if you're out hiking or something. But you come across a mama bear who has little cubs, and you got a problem. Because they know what this is the most important thing is taking care of their little ones. But this is saying that the cow and the bear will graze together. Their young ones will lie down together. You can imagine a cow and a bear taking a nap, little, little baby cow and bear. That's so cute, taking a nap together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. The wean child shall put his hand in the viper's den. No mother ever said, go ahead and go play with Ka for a little bit, baby. Be back home for dinner. No, it doesn't happen. But our perspective is the fulfillment of the kingdom age when we are finally reconciled to God in all his glory, the way that he always intended it to be. We're going to look at that in a minute, that there is going to be this harmony. There's going to be this peace. There's going to be this dwelling together in unity on on the human level, but even on the animal level, even on the human to animal level. And you know what? I'm sick and tired of thinking about who we're going to war with next. Does that drain you? I'm tired of thinking like, who's the biggest threat to us and how many people are going to have to die? And is it North Korea or is it China or is it Russia or is it Syria or is it them? Or is it, are we ready to, to, for millions of people throughout history, billions of people to die because we in our mortal state, cannot get along. The promises of God, the prophecies of the Old Testament of God is that one day everybody's going to dwell together in unity. Can I get a witness? Everybody's going to dwell together in peace. The human people with God, which is the most incredible part of the story, people themselves, you guys like animals and kittens and puppies. They're in the Bible. They're going to be playing with snakes and lions and cobras and stuff. 
It's going to be a harmonious in finality, God's purposes, a harmonious life being together. And this is the contrast to life that we see today. This is the contrast to the death that we experience today. This is the contrast to the war that we experience today. The weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When the fullness of the knowledge of the Lord is present, there shall be peace everlasting. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, Jesus Christ, who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. <laughs> his resting place shall be glorious. You know who this is? This is King Jesus, the righteous ruler who binds his waist, waist with, with righteousness, truth and faithfulness. This is the contrast to what the world has to offer you today, Christian. This is part of the good news. This is your expectation and your hope. And it's an Old Testament scripture that prophesies of this coming. Now, I want to focus also on a New Testament prophecy that speaks of the same thing and consider it. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to give you a moment as well to turn there. We don't have this one up on the screen for you, but flip over to Revelation chapter 21, the second to last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Super easy to find. Go right to the end. Flip a few pages to the left. Revelation chapter 21. Speaking of God's purposes and the fulfillment that he's going to bring. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. John says he saw the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The best possible description of the church in the New Testament is the bride of Christ. Say yes to the dress. Is that the thing? Is that what it's called? Imagine giving a woman zero restrictions on her wedding budget. Could you imagine what that would be like? I can't either. It would be incredible, right? It, it's the day. It's the, the, the glorious day that she's prepared to meet her husband. And this is the language that the Bible uses to describe how glorious it's going to be when we get to be together 
Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So this is the place that we are going to dwell with God. When Jesus says, I go away to prepare a place for you that, that where I go, you, you might come also, it's, he's no joke. It's going to be good. It's going to be amazing. It's comparable to a bride getting ready for her wedding day. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This was God's intention for humankind since the very beginning of the creation of the heavens and earth. This was always God's intention, that he would create people, he would create you and I in his image. And there would be a time when we were all together, that we lived with him, he lived with us. And then throughout history, starting in Genesis all the way to Revelation, the whole Bible there is something that always comes in to, to thwart the plan of God, to separate God and man. And the pinnacle of our relationship with God, the best part of your life that is ever going to be recorded is the day that we stand in glory with him, never to be separated again. And we will be his people and he will be our God. Verse four, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, <clears throat> nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Are you an optimist? Are you a pessimist? Do you need hope? Here's your prescription. God wants you to have the perspective that he's going to handle business. He's going to handle business today, tomorrow, and ultimately when we are reconciled to him completely. Like we're reconciled to him now, but when, when he is going to literally be able to wipe the tears from your eye, the old things have passed away. Can we look forward to that now today? Does that, should that change our perspective about what we're going through right now? It sure as well should. It better. No more pain. The former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write. For these words are true and faithful. Is there any possibility whatsoever, 0.0000001% chance, any possibility whatsoever that this may not happen? No. It's an absolute. And he says, write these words from him who is true and faithful. He says, this is the truth, and I am faithful to bring it to completion. Does that change your perspective of what you're going through right now? It does for me. Man, it makes me happy. It makes me want to get out of my hole that I get in sometimes. And he said to me, it is done. Sounds familiar. It is finished. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. There's a reality to look forward to. There's a perspective that we should have. There's a song that we sing. I think mostly just Grace and I. But um, there's this song. You guys want me to sing it for you? Can I sing it? No? It goes, Revelation, Revelation 21.8. You guys ever heard this song? 21.8, liars go to hell, liars go to hell, burn, 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 burn. <laughs> and we sing that song to people who lie. It's kind of like for fun, but it's a reminder. There's a contrast. What's our word for the day? There's a contrast. There's a perspective that the world has. There's a perspective that we have. And if we are sons and daughters of God Most High, then our lives will look differently. It will be the contrast to the rest of the way the world looks and the rest of the people in the world. If you can start to identify again more with the way the world uh, thinks about things, more the way that the world philosophizes about certain things, then you are going to find yourself in trouble. You are going to find yourself depressed. You're going to find yourself unsatisfied. You're going to find yourself sad most of the time. And that is, unfortunately, the, the way that the world is right now. And we do not want to be like that. Not only have we been given life, we've been given life abundantly. We're not going to stay there. Our perspective is changed by the promises of God, by the words of God. We have an Old Testament prophecy telling what God's intentions are for us. We have a New Testament prophecy that speaks of what God's intentions are for us. And we need to set our hope and expectation in Him. In that I know this is what's happening, God, right now. I know that this is difficult. I'm losing my grip. I, I am struggling. I'm slipping. I need your perspective. If that's you this morning, this is God's cry to you. He loves you. He wants you to have the right perspective. He wants you to focus on what his word says to you that is righteous and true, that he is righteous and true, and that you can be excited about what he has in store for you. You can be excited about what he has in store for you today, right now. But the things that he has in store for tomorrow are even better. So yeah, bad things happen. Yeah, it's terrible the things that we witness on earth. It was terrible the things that he witnessed, Solomon witnessed while he was on earth. Are we going to stay in that frame of mind? Are we going to stay with that perspective? Or are we going to allow our, our perspective to be changed? Are we going to see the contrast? This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. 
but for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. Are you alive today? Listen, Christian, are you alive today? If, if you are identifying with that verse, but for him who is joined to all the living, there's hope. If you're alive today, then there's hope for tomorrow. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. I highlighted that for us. A living dog is better than a dead lion. Lions are cool. Who doesn't want to be a lion, right? I want to be a lion. Lions are sweet. But a dead lion is dead. But a living dog is better than a dead, than a dead lion. A dirty dog. You guys know where we got the phrase dirty dog from? Does anybody know? It comes from dogs that are dirty. It does. Dogs get dirty. And this is the, 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 the main reason why I don't like dogs sometimes. Clean dogs are nice. Dirty dogs are dirty. I do not want to pet somebody that wants to be petted, namely a dog, of course. I don't want to pet something that wants some attention and affection and then have to go wash my hands. I just, I feel dirty, right? But here's the good news. Even if you're a dirty dog, <laughs> if you're alive, you have hope. If you're alive, you have hope. On a, as a side note, I take my dogs... I, I clean them or I, I get them groomed and they're so clean. They smell so good. And I'll cuddle my dog when it's clean, right? But then the first thing it does, it runs outside and starts rolling in the dirt. And I say the same thing. You're a dirty dog, but at least you're alive. <laughs> dirty dog. Are you alive? What's your hope in? Do you have a hope? You know, you could be... You cannot be here. That's a sobering reality. We have, last week has saw tragedy in California on many levels. There are people who a week ago today, with all due respect, that were alive. And now they're not alive anymore. But you know, if, if, are you in a hard season? I'm sorry. I truly, genuinely am sorry. But don't... Don't buy into the pessimism of this world. Don't buy into the lies of the enemy that you're never going to find any satisfaction. Don't allow it to affect you the way that he wants it to affect you in your life today. We are optimists because Jesus is the ultimate optimist. Jesus was tempted in all ways, yet was without sin. We can identify with that. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Well, you're alive. You know that you're alive. The dead don't know anything. And they have no more reward, those dead, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also, their love, their hatred, their envy have now perished. That's a lot deeper than I think we give credit for. You look at that verse, you think about that. Ping pong. Ponder it. Think about what that says. 
Also, their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. What does love, envy, or hatred have to do with somebody that is dead? Nothing. What the question of love, could they have loved more? Absolutely. Could they have hated less? Absolutely. Was there any benefit to their envy? Absolutely not. Because whatever that thing that they wanted, whatever that thing that they were envious of, that they were trying to get their hands on, whatever it was, doesn't mean anything now. It means nothing. It's a joke. Envy is dead. But could you love more? You could. Could you hate less? You can. Can you envy? Can you not envy at all? I hope so. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Verse 7, go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. Excuse me. For God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white. Let your head lack no oil. He says, you have been provided for. You have food. Eat your meals. Drink. Have a merry heart. Have an acceptance towards God because he's already accepted you and your works. Let your garments always be white. Get dressed up. Let your head lack no oil. There's an anointing uh, picture that we see here. There is a, something to be said of the optimist in those two verses. And then we, we, we get to verse 9, which is interesting. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. <laughs> I can't, I can't. Every time I read that verse, I probably read it 50 times in the last week. I can't help but emphasize it. It's just... He said, live joyfully. Look at a big smile on Solomon. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun all the days of your vanity. All the days of your vanity. For that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. So we've talked about ourselves. We've talked about our perspectives. We've talked about how we should process things, optimism, pessimism. We need to look at God fulfilling his promises in our life, how we want to be a part of that, how our hope is set in that. But then there's a companionship involved as well. There's a spouse. There's a wife. And why does he have this tone of bitterness? Can you guys sense the tone of bitterness? I believe, and I'm not saying that I'm right, but this is just, I'm just going to throw this out there. I believe it's probably, be, it's probably because Solomon had over a thousand wives and concubines. And he is somewhat envious of, you know, back in the days when he just had one wife to take care of. Now he's got a thousand women that he has to take care of. And there's a little bit of bitterness there because that's not the way that God meant it to be. That's not the way that God wanted it to be even for him. He was warned about this, not to do it. And he did it anyway. So now he's saying, you guys who have wives, you enjoy your one wife. Your vain days on the earth. Doesn't matter anyway. It almost sounds like a grumpy old man. 
the question is a, is a question of perspective again. It's a contrast. You know, the grace of God in my life, the mercy of God, the love of God changed my life. God's grace conquered me. And when I say that, I don't say that lightly. God's grace conquered me. It was a process, but he devastated me with his grace. It's so sweet. I love that song that we just sang, singing about um, the grace and the love of God being poured out. That's what I've experienced, overwhelmed in the grace and the love of God. And grace, my wife, is the personification of God's grace in my life. And I'm sorry if you're not happy with me and you're like, oh, here we go talking about grace again. I, I'm sorry. In my vain days, she is the one God has brought me to cohabitate with. And I am a very blessed man. Her name is Grace for a reason. And while I can identify more with Solomon, I can look at things as vanity and I can look at things as, you know, corruption and, 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 and not really willing to look at the right side of the lens when it comes to contrast. My wife has always been the opposite. From the very early days, in, in a two months, we celebrate 14 years married. And in the very, few day, the, the very few days, the very early days of our marriage, I would say, you know, what about this thing? And what about that person? And they said this and they did that. And I'm going to ponder on this for a little bit. And, and, and Grace always, every single time to the point where it started to get annoying, she would always say, you know what, Tim? Maybe they didn't mean it. Maybe that that wasn't what they were trying to say. Look at it from their perspective. I'm sure that they didn't try to hurt you. Like there's probably more at play. There's more involved. I'm just, just let me be mad. Don't give me excuses for people. But that's exactly what I needed. And that wasn't a person that was a personification of God showing me the perspective that I was supposed to have. And now after 14 years, it goes both ways. I'm not going to tell you what her imperfections are because she'll get mad at me. But she falls short a lot. And I help her with that. I'm like, hey, baby, remember? This is what we agreed on. This is the direction that we're going. <laughs> no, but like she has some things that she goes through that, that she needs a masculine male um, uh, perspective. And I go through things, with, with all joking aside, that, that I need that, that gracious, loving, considerate perspective. And, and we balance each other out. God, in, in His wisdom... God knowing that we were going to go through dark days. God knowing that we were going to get to November in Las Vegas. When it already, look, doesn't it look like it's starting to be evening time already? You guys can't deny that. It looks just, you know, God knows. So he brings things into our life that help us get perspective, that help us recognize the contrast that we need. You came to church grumpy this morning. God had prepared a word for you to remind you, listen, 
I want you to have hope. I want you to have the correct perspective. I want you to be the contrast to what the world looks like. And that is where he wants our hearts to dwell. That's the hope that we have in him. Amen? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going to go. Use it fully now. I returned and saw under the sun that races not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. Isn't that true? Nobody believed this real life example. I apologize if, if, you know, if it's too much for you, but real life example. Nobody in a million years would have believed that Las Vegas could have a hockey team. Testify. Can I get a witness? Why? Why could nobody believe that? If you went back 2,000 years ago and they're like, Las Vegas is going to have a very awesome hockey team. What would people say? No, because you can't have ice in the desert, silly. It's the desert. It's like having a Jamaican bobsled team. There's no snow in Jamaica to practice on. But nobody would have said last season, last year, that a, a, a starting team like the Las Vegas Golden Knights, would not only do well, but get to the finals of the Stanley Cup. Right? The race is not to the swift. This is the point. Chance happens to everybody. I'm not speaking that against the Golden Knights because we're going we're gonna to get into the groove this season. All right? What's the, what's the picture? What's the idea? God knows. God sees everything. And what we would like to do is we would like to be in control. Can I get a witness? We would like to be in control. We would like to lead our dogs around by the collar, make them do what we say. We'd like to be the kings and queens of our own destiny and and figure it out. And he's saying, you cannot, will not figure it out. If you're the fastest, there's sometimes that you're going to lose. If you're the strongest, there's a sometimes you're going to be defeated. You have the most understanding and anybody in the world, you're not going to be the one with the most riches, the favor of men of skill. Time and chance happen to them all. The right perspective to have is knowing that you should not, don't want to be in control, that God is in control, and it's not chance, it's not happenstance, it is his goodness towards you to your account. It's the hope of today, the expectation in tomorrow. That's why we can be absolutely the far side of the pessimist aisle. We have to be the optimist. We have to be the the glass uh, is full. 100%. You need both. Because that's what God's heart for us is. And then it's that with that perspective and that understanding being the contrast on, on the earth that we can live. We have life. We may be dirty dogs, but we're alive. Maybe me. I'm the dirty dog. You guys are clean dogs. It doesn't bother me. 
For man also does not know his time. Like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was a found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that same poor man. And this poor man, in his wisdom, saved the city from the great and mighty besieging king. As a little bit of a side note, when we were in Israel, we got to hike up this trail to the top of Masada. Have you guys ever heard of Masada before? Masada was a, a hilltop fortress that Herod built kind of like as a military outpost slash retreat center for himself. And it was the last standing representation of the nation of Israel after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And, and after the destruction of the temple, they went back to Rome and they were celebrating. Yeah, we beat those stinky Jews. And, and then the word came, hey, you guys, de you defeated Jerusalem and you pulled it down stone from stone. But there's still an outpost that remains with over 900 men, women and children who were Jews on Masada that they took. So they come back, and when you go up to the top of Masada, it's incredible. You're on the top of the mountain, and you're looking down, and the Dead Sea is right in the distance, and you're looking around. You can walk all around 360 degrees and see the, the, the base of this great mountain that you're on that was a stronghold. And it is the only surviving proof of how the Romans would siege a city. There's no other proof of, of their, their operation, how they did it. And you could see every so, so much around the entire city, 365 degrees, there is 300, yeah, is that all right? That's days. That's, yeah, okay. okay. Let's just strike that because that was a serious note too. Um, that's disappointing. There's, there's um, these camps, these old camps of where the Romans uh, were, were camped around to siege the city. And then you go to the back and there's this massive earthen ramp that goes to the top. And they just took dirt and they piled it and piled it and piled it. And who knows how long it took them, but they piled it all the way to the top. And then they took their battering ram and they, and they broke the top of the, the city down. But there's, there's not much hope to be had when you're in a city that's being besieged by a mighty king. There's not much hope to be had. And sometimes we feel like that. We feel like we are surrounded on all fronts. There is no hope to be had. But here we have a story that we would say, he says that, that he's seen it. So this very well could be a true story of, of an actual city that was being besieged by a mighty king that, that was not able to complete the siege because this wise, old, poor man knew how to turn the tide and, and it was turned. The sad part of the story, yet no one remembered that same poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. 
Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised. You see the contrast? It's good to be strong. It's better to be wise. But in the end, does it really matter at all? Well, wisdom definitely is, is to be more desired. And his words were not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Coming full circle uh, and, and concluding, finishing up our study this morning, I, I'd like to ask you one more time. I know I've asked you a few times, and you're probably getting mad at me now, especially if you're in a rougher season, but, but how is your perspective doing? How's your perspective? Does this change things at all? To see what God's heart is for you? To see Old Testament prophecy for the future, New Testament prophecy for the future. He's going to wipe every tear from your eye. Does that allow you to be comforted today? Because it does for me. It does for me. And this is what I see. This is what I experience when I pray to him, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because those things that we read in Isaiah and in Revelation are his will done. Amen? Amen. His will done. And he's taking us on a trip. And we're going to this glorious place that he has prepared for us, as beautiful as as a bride adorned on her wedding day. Have you guys ever taken a trip that you have great anticipation about? I loved going on trips when I was a little kid. My parents would tell me that we were going on a trip, and and it seemed like as soon as they told me we were going to go to some place, time stood still. It slowed down. It's like, I just got to get to Friday. We just repeated Monday three times. The night before the trip, I, I would have just such angst because of my excitement that I wouldn't be able to sleep. You know why? Because I had an expectation of something good. I was going somewhere that had been prepared for me. I was happy. And this is what God has for you as well. Today, right now, it will change our perspective. Remember, you are God's contrast this week, okay? You're God's contrast. You don't look at things the same way that the world looks at them. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word to us today. We thank you that we can have this hope. We thank you that we can have this joy We thank you, God, that we can have this perspective, right perspective, that we are the contrast, we are the light, that when everybody else is hating, when everybody else is envying, when everybody else is striving, we are to love, to love. The greatest command as followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is to love. That we would do that with all of our hearts. Love more, Father. In Jesus' name. Again, I don't know what you guys are going through right now. I know that life can be difficult. But I know that 
I have a check in my spirit. I, I have, a, have a sense that there are people here this morning who are in a difficult season and it's very hard to be optimistic about the things that you're experiencing. It's very difficult to be glass half full. And you may not be happy to hear this word because your heart is in a difficult place. But I hope that God's word would give you hope. I hope that God's word will give you freedom. And if that's you this morning, if you have been living in the defeat of pessimism, I want to pray for you. I want to agree together with God today that has no place in your life. God loves you. He has good things for you. His promises are yes and amen. So if that's you this morning, with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, I'd like you to raise your hand high up into the air so that I could pray for you. Is anybody in that place that I can pray for? I see your hands. Anybody else? Anybody else? Father, I thank you for these who in honesty have shared something that is going on inside their hearts. God, and I pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that you would bring restoration. I pray, God, that you would bring perspective on the wings of an eagle out of nowhere, reminding them of your goodness, reminding them of your faithfulness, reminding them of your care, your desire, your passion, your heart for them in hope. God, open the heavens and pour out your grace into their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's anybody here today who has no idea what I'm talking about, because you have always identified with the opposite side of the contrast that our perspective was today. You don't, you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior publicly. You saw and heard maybe a little bit of what you desperately want in your life, but you've never made that confession. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to identify Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I want to give you an opportunity to repent of your sins so that you can live in this new and everlasting perspective so that you could be an optimist so that you can expect good things from God from now on. If that's you, you've never made that decision to follow Jesus and receive forgiveness of sins, I want you to raise your hand up in the air high if anybody at all here so I can pray for you and talk to you after. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for fellowship with yourself, Lord, that we get to know you and that one day the knowledge of you is going to flood the earth like this, 
the oceans and the seas. It's going to be everywhere. We're going to know you. Your desire is for us to know you. And we thank you for showing us a glimpse of that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.